0: This podcast is sponsored by the Davenant Institute and Davenant Hall, reimagining theological education. Visit davenanthall.com. The Davenant Institute seeks to retrieve the riches of classical Protestantism to renew and build up the contemporary church. Key to this mission is their educational arm, Davenant Hall. In an age where much theological education both overlooks the riches of church history and keeps students in debt, Davenant Hall is reimagining theological education. Davenant Hall takes full advantage of digital technology to make high-quality theological education affordable via online courses. Students can simply audit a single class or enroll in a degree program, including subject-specific certificates, Ph.D. supervision, and the flagship MLIT program, which includes pastoral tracks for Baptist, Anglican, and Reformed or Presbyterian ministry. Enroll in classes at any time during the academic year. Knowing that in-person fellowship is key to Christian formation, Davenant hosts regular residentials at their study center in the beautiful Blue Ridge Mountains of South Carolina. Registration for Spring Term 2024 classes running April to June is now open. Register by March 27th. Fees start at just $225 for a 10-week class, with a two-hour Zoom class from expert professors each week. Spring Term classes include Male and Female in Modernity with Alistair Roberts, The Reformation and the Modern World, with Michael Lynch, Philosophy as a Way of Life with Joseph Minnick, and more. Visit DavenantHall.com to find out more. That's DavenantHall.com. This is Theology
1: on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth. All right, let's take it up another couple of notches. Let's go for the more advanced level kinds of things. So, now what? Hello and welcome to Theology on the Go. I'm your host, Jonathan Master. I am here with my co-host and friend and colleague, Dr. James Dolezal, and we are going to talk today about the doctrine of God, but we're going to take it from a little different angle. We're going to talk about the books that we would recommend for someone who wants to start their study or perhaps continue their study of this important topic. You know, a lot of times we end theology on the go by giving book recommendations, and oftentimes our listeners say that that's one of the more helpful things we do. So we want to devote an entire podcast to that. So, James, I want to... Just hand it over to you and say, talk through your own development of the doctrine of God. Which books have
2: been most helpful for you? Great. I'll start with books that were entry-level books. I think serious-minded books, but entry-level books. And these are mainly books I read as an undergraduate. So if listeners are thinking, what age appropriate? I would say some of the ones I'll mention first would be probably high school level and You can go from there, and I'm going to start with A.W. Pink's book, The Attributes of God. This is actually pulled from an older book called Gleanings in the Godhead. Pink loves those gleanings titles. Yeah, yeah. And that was his, well, he had that magazine. I think his magazine was Gleanings in the Scriptures or Studies in the Scriptures, something like that. So he's a gleaner. (laughs) And what he has gleaned on doctrine of God is very helpful. The chapters are ordinarily like four to five pages each. And he takes a number of attributes of God like wisdom and power and knowledge and he walks you through a very, very solid and yet dense biblical presentation of the doctrine. And that's Pink's MO, is to walk you through what Scripture says about each of these attributes of God and then offer some reflections upon that. And I would say for, for readers who have never read theology proper, have never read on the doctrine of God as such, that Pink is a great place to start. Sometimes people... Throw in the other A.W. there, that is Tozer, his knowledge of the holy, which I think has a number of good points. And Tozer, I think, is a faithful guide in that book. But if you want a a nice, rich, sort of biblical introduction to the attributes of God, A.W. Pink is where I would start. At least that's where I started. So you started reading that sometime in college? Yeah, I would say so. I was probably a freshman or sophomore, and I should tell everyone— I didn't graduate college with honors, and I certainly was not on my way to anything like— I was just hoping to graduate college, actually. But this book I could handle, and I was encouraged to do so. My dad actually turned me on to A.W. Pink. So I think you made a good case for Pink in that what he
1: does is he really draws these doctrines out from the Scriptures. A lot of times, because the doctrine of God relies oftentimes on philosophical distinctions, which are really important— those can be intimidating or perhaps off-putting, actually. But Pink doesn't really do that, does he?
2: No, he doesn't. And I, I don't say that that kind of thing ought not be done in theology proper. In fact, I think it needs to be done. But what Pink, the service Pink renders that is so helpful is he gives you that biblical foundation, that pushing off point where you need to plant your feet before you move into a what you might think of as a contemplative doctrine of God, not a doctrine of God that contradicts the scriptures, but that enters into sort of a, another layer of reflection. But I would start with pink. So we're going to,
1: for listeners, we're going to give you the opportunity to get a free copy of a W pink's attributes of God. So just keep listening to the end of the podcast. We've already broken news here. I think by learning that Dr. Dolezal didn't graduate college with honors, but stay tuned for even more at the end now. Okay, James, let's go further. Um, You talked about contemplative theology just a minute ago. Why is that important in this subject? How should we think about that? I think maybe we're unfamiliar with those terms. Those aren't terms that we use very often in evangelical Protestantism.
2: Right. It's the idea of a reflective theology, a theology that thinks through and contemplates the necessary implications of what Scripture is saying. Before I moved to contemplative theology, I feel like I moved from pink back to some Puritan literature, and that got me into maybe an older way of thinking. A couple book recommendations along the way there. First, not a Puritan. R.C. Sproul's works were very helpful to me, his work on the holiness of God. He has another work on divine providence. I think it was at one time published under the title The Invisible Hand. These were other books that Reading Sproul started to move me into a little bit more of that contemplative mode where you're thinking through the necessary implications of what Scripture is stating. Puritan literature that was very helpful to me uh, and really accessible, probably the most readable of all Puritans, Thomas Watson's book, All Things for Good, originally called A Divine Cordial, but that sounds kind of old-timey. So Banner of Truth re packaged it as all things were good. And it's really a, it's Watson's study of divine providence, but particularly looking at Romans 8, 28 and following. Yeah, and
1: just a note on that Watson book, again, very readable and anything that Thomas Watson wrote is very readable and accessible, but also the story behind that is a remarkable story. I think the banner edition has a little intro about this, but Watson wrote that in the face of and and in response to a huge tragedy and a tragedy that consumed many, many lives. And so he wasn't sort of sitting back and talking about how all things work together for good in the context of ease. It was definitely written, as many Puritan works were, in the context of tragedy and tragedy on a scale that I think most of us can hardly imagine.
2: It really gives you a place to stand theologically and biblically that helps you to fasten your confidence in God and what he's doing in and through both the sunny days and the dark days in his wisdom and fatherly care. You know, just jumping in
1: on that, I want to hear more book recommendations, but I want to underscore that point because oftentimes when we talk about the doctrine of God, it can seem a little bit removed. Sometimes it does really tax our minds. It does tax our minds when we think about who God is, but, you see the necessity of it. You see the kind of, if I can use a phrase that I don't like to use, but the sort of practical value of it, the pastoral value of it for your
2: Christian life. We need a robust doctrine of God as Christians. Amen to that. You asked about contemplative theology and what might have sort of pushed me in that direction. And there was a book that I read in my very last semester as an undergraduate. This is, I think this is, 2000, 2000, so 17 years ago, I read an abridgment of Augustine's Confessions. And this was just an optional reading for a course I was taking, so I decided to plow through a a smaller edition of the Confessions. And when I got to the section on God and time, where it really stops reading like a Confessions and starts reading like a very scholarly theology, where he's ruminating on the meaning of what it is for God not to have a yesterday and a tomorrow, but for God to, as it were, only have a today, and what it is for God to be eternal in such a way that he's not passing through moments. And I will have to say that that, reading Augustine on that was probably the first time I had really been pushed in the direction of contemplative theology, where you where you really took biblical revelation and thought through in a very thick and careful way exactly the implications for the manner of God's being. And it, I don't know, I found it fascinating. The questions that he was raising and attempting to answer or to speak to were fascinating. But Augustine was a transitional author for me, taking me from, not away from, but in addition to the very devotional flavor that you get in Pink and in some of the Puritans, taking me into a more contemplative mode of mind that I had not really encountered before. I'm impressed that they didn't abridge that part out, because I think a lot of times people don't know how to place that section in the, the overall Scope of the confession. I was supposed to write a paper on it, and I confess I didn't know quite how to fit it into my paper. It was there, I had to deal with it, but I found it really intriguing, and that was really my first taste of that way of theologizing that wasn't unfaithful to the scriptures, but was really thinking very carefully and, and at great length on the implications of what scripture was saying.
1: Now, since we're trying to give people recommendations for now, diving into the doctrine of God, that's what happened with you. That's what took you into the sort of contemplative line of thought. But would you recommend that people go back and dive into that now? Or
2: would you say, you know what, if you're trying to study the doctrine of God, you can do it a quicker way? Yeah, that's a good question. No, Augustine on time in the confessions is, unless you're having a hard time sleeping, you know, maybe that's not the way for everyone. I know that not everyone comes to these studies in the same route. If you want to get at some of that richer vein of theology, but not have to read through Augustine's ruminations and confessions, there are some Protestant systematic theologies, I think, that are very helpful in this connection. I'll just mention two in particular. The first is Herman Bovink's. Work on theology proper. This is volume two of his Reform Dogmatics on God and Creation. It had been translated by William Hendrickson in a translation that had been out in the 20th century. I found the newer translation, a volume edited by John Bolt from Baker Academic, to be, at least for me, more accessible. That also is a very rich thoughtful study for those that don't want to go all in on bobbing volume two what i use for my undergraduate students is an abridgment of the four volumes of reform dogmatics edited by john bolt also called reform dogmatics and the subtitle abridged in one volume and the section in there on the doctrine of god is about 150 pages This is what I make my undergraduate students read. It's a challenge to them, but it's one that they can really grab hold of and learn from. So if you don't want to go the full Bovink, the abridgment from Bolt is very helpful. Yeah, I agree with that. And we've talked about this a lot
1: with the microphones off, but what's amazing to me is our students, undergrad, and then the grad students who would go in the full Bovink, as you say, they love it. I think in general... They love it. It's intimidating at first, but then when they get into it, they find it incredibly satisfying. And it's not because we teach all the top-level, just in regular students, but, but and the, uh, and these they aren't, love it. And
2: these aren't Bible majors necessarily Correct. either. These are business majors and social work majors and English majors as well. And I think the reason they love it, or at least enough of them love it to make me keep requiring it and trust they can get through it, is that it... It gives them a taste of the robust, thoughtful, intelligent, and yet deeply biblical Christianity that some of them weren't even sure existed until they read Bavink. And there's an intensity but also a beauty and a devotional quality to Bavink. It's not a kind of showy or sappy piety, but the piety is definitely there. Yet it's right in the middle of a very serious and persuasive Study of God, His attributes, His triunity. So, that might be another place someone who's wanting to sort of take it up a notch would want to go.
1: All right, let's take it up another couple of notches. Let's go for the perhaps advanced level kinds of things. And I know that even in your own reading, you sort of took them in this order. So, what would you recommend now to someone who wants to get into it in a really serious way? Maybe they've
2: even read through some systematic theology already, they've read some of the shorter stuff. So now what? If you want to go to the next level, and in a way that I think is very gratifying, you're going to have to find your way to scholasticism. And by scholasticism, I don't mean impenetrable sophistry, but by scholasticism, I mean a method of contemplation and study that asks questions and considers alternative answers and weighs the evidences. If you want to get into that level on the Protestant side, I would highly recommend spending time with Francis Turretin. P&R has published his Institutes of Elenctic Theology in three volumes. Volume one is where you find his questions on the doctrine of God, richly immersed in medieval and patristic thought, but also willing to go his own way as a Protestant. When I was in seminary, that had only just been made available in English for the first time, and so most of my peers and even professors had not really spent time with Turretin. Now we've had a little more time to digest him and get familiar with his methods. so I would recommend, if you want to go to that deeper level, I would recommend Turretin, and I might put one contemporary alongside Turretin, Yeah. and that is Richard Muller. And I don't know that I would have found my way back into scholasticism if it were not for... Richard Muller, his four volumes, Post-Reformation Reform Dogmatics, volumes three and four, which came out in 2003, are really a survey, a very academic and learned survey of 16th and 17th century Protestant thought on the doctrine of God, showing its medieval and patristic roots, also showing its variety even among Protestants and between Lutherans and Reformed. Unfortunately, those are out of print. In my opinion, one of the great crises of modern reformed evangelicalism is that Richard Muller's four volumes are not currently in print. Beseech Baker to bring it back if you don't get <laughs> access to this. Don't go pay $500 for it on Amazon, but hopefully one day Baker will see the wisdom in bringing that back into print. But those volumes by Richard Muller, if you can get access to them and just slow down, I'll tell you, the first time I read Richard Muller, I did not understand what I was reading. You probably should have his dictionary of Greek and Latin theological terms to help you along the way, but the reward is worth it. Yeah. And volume
1: three is the divine essence and attributes. Volume four, the triunity of God and just yeah, monumental.
2: All right, let's hit it with a few more here. Okay, I'll end it with a couple others. Now, yeah. now we're pushing back pre-Protestant era. I would highly recommend just spending time with Thomas Aquinas. And the reason for this, and I think for a lot of Protestants, you know, if we're going to go back before the Reformation, we're much more comfortable with Augustine or the Cappadocian fathers maybe. But if you could spend some time with that 13th century dominican thomas aquinas it would be time well spent and i would recommend you could look at his compendium of theology which is very brief but probably better just to go straight into his Summa Theologiae, the first book the first series of questions basically all the way through his discussion of the trinity you know what was fascinating is reading thomas i feel like i had a better understanding of both bobbinck and turritin because they clearly had read and understood and imbibed so much of Thomas's thought in their own writing that it gave me an appreciation for what Protestants were doing. It may seem intimidating. My first exposure to Thomas was as an MDiv student. I was given a requirement to read one article from his Summa and write a small two- or three-page paper on it. And so as a young and zealous Calvinist, I read his section on predestination with the intent of taking him apart. Much to my surprise, he sounded just like a Calvinist. And in fact, it's because he and Calvin are both Augustinian in that regard. And in fact, I found it helpful and persuasive and was surprised to find myself writing a, a positive paper on this medieval monk, even as a Calvinist, writing that paper. If you go back behind Aquinas, you find some really delicious statements and reflections in Anselm's Proslogion and Monologion. These are shorter works. If you push back behind that, you want to spend some time with Augustine. And probably his great work is his work De Trinitata on the Trinity.
1: Yeah, that's a book that just every time I go back to it, it's just, it just, blows me away again. I mean, it's just incredibly impressive. All right. So we have given a long reading list, maybe more than our listeners bargained for, but you asked for it. You asked for more book recommendations. And so we're giving them to you on the doctrine of God. And in addition, we would like to actually give you a copy of the first book we mentioned by A.W. Pink, The Attributes of God. So if you'd like to get that, you can go to placefortruth.org, click on the link, and enter to win a copy. We appreciate you listening and downloading, and we also want to remind you that the Alliance exists because of the donations of listeners like you And so if you can donate, we'd appreciate it. But we'd also appreciate you recommending the podcast to friends and downloading it whenever you have a chance. James, always a pleasure. It's good to talk with you. And thank you for listening to Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth.